Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Let's go back in time 4,000 years to the year 2000 BC. There is a pagan idolater living in the land of Chaldea, that's modern Iraq. His name was Abraham. He worshipped false gods, his parents worshipped false gods. In fact, everybody worshipped false gods back then. God had not gotten a chosen people to worship him yet. So God wants to get that chosen people. So about 2000 BC, God appears to Abraham. Abraham is 75 years old and God says, Abraham, leave Chaldea for the promised land that I'm going to give you and your descendants. Abraham, barely knowing who this is that was talking to him, but trusts he must be the true God, takes his wife Sarah, leaves Chaldea, heads for the promised land. And God says, I will make of you, Abraham, a big nation, and by, th by you all the nations will be blessed. Then, when Abraham is uh, 85 years old and his barren wife is 75, God takes Abraham outside and says, look at the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to get. And at that moment it says, and Abraham believed God, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then finally, 15 years after that, Sarah is 90 years old. She's never had a baby. Abraham is 100. Sarah gives birth to her firstborn son, Isaac, and the chosen people, the Jews, have begun. When Isaac is a boy, this famous story happens. Here's a painting by Caravaggio, The Sacrifice of Isaac. God tells Abraham, Take your son on top of the mountain and offer him to me as a sacrifice. Abraham is willing to do it right before he kills the son. The angel says, stop. God was testing you, Abraham. See, there's a ram in the thicket, and the ram was killed in place of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of the Jews. What I want to do now, that, that's one of the most famous stories of the Bible, I want us to go through that story of the almost sacrifice of Isaac and let's learn all that we can for our lives from that lesson. Let's pray first. Father, we do want to pray that each of us would be like Abraham, willing to give up that which we love the most for you. And we ask you to speak to us now, Father, about how to do that and how to be willing to do that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please take out your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 22. Again, this is about 2000 B.C. or so. Genesis chapter 22, and we start at verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. Here's the first lesson. God tests believers. God doesn't tempt believers, the devil does that, but it says here, God tests believers. And when he tests us, 
what is God testing us to see? Well, see if you can if you can pick it out here from Deuteronomy 13. Quote: If a prophet arises among you, or a dreamer of dreams, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder which he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, "Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them," you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you. Why? To see whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Right, did you catch that? When God tests Abraham, when God tests you and me, you know what he's testing to see? Who do you love more, Abraham? Me or your son? Who do you love the most? Matthew Henry was a Bible commentator back in the 1600s, and he said these words. We must tread in the steps of this faith of Abraham. God calls us to part with all for Christ, all of our sins, all those things that are competitors with Christ for the sovereignty of our heart. We must cheerfully let them all go. God, by his providence, calls us to part with an Isaac sometimes, and we must do it with a cheerful resignation and submission to his holy will. So the question I'd ask you today is, what Isaac is God asking you to give up? Look at verse 2. Genesis 22, verse 2. God said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Here's the next lesson. When God tests, it can get confusing. You mean, God, what do you mean kill him? Back in chapter 17, you said he's the one who's going to produce all my descendants. What do you mean kill him? It gets confusing. I mean, God, why are you letting Muslim terrorists behead Christians overseas? You know, when God tests his people, it can get real confusing. <laughs> now, for the rest of the sermon, we're going to ask, how did Abraham pass this most severe test of his life? Nothing came, this is the hardest thing God ever asked Abraham to do. How did he pass the test? We're going to see this now. But before we go through that, I want to say this. Abraham did not pass every test. <laughs> For instance, in Genesis chapters 12 and 20, he lies. In, in Genesis chapter 17, when God says, Abraham, you're going to have a son, Abraham laughed at God. So good news for us, he didn't pass every test, but he did pass this most severe test. And let's see how he did it. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which the Lord had told him. I want you to note the word early. Here's how Abraham passed the test. He practiced early obedience. And me too. I mean, if God is telling me something difficult to do, let, let's get this over with. I don't want to have to wait three weeks and <laughs> lose sleep. Okay, God, I think you want me to do it. Let's just do it. Let's get it over with. Again, quoting Matthew Henry, uh, he said this. Abraham did not delay he did not take time to deliberate. He would not admit a debate. Note, those who do the will of God heartily will do it speedily. While we delay, time is lost and our hearts become hardened. 
So if God's asking you to do something rather difficult, just get it over and do it. <laughs> Look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. You know what Abraham was doing in that verse? Here's the next lesson. He looked death in the eye. There's the place. Do you ever look death in the eye? Jonathan Edwards was the great Puritan preacher of the 1700s, uh, part of what was called the Great Awakening, first great revival movement in the United States. Jonathan Edwards was an incredible Christian, partly because of resolutions he made when he was young. Let me read two of Jonathan Edwards' resolutions he made when he was a young man. Number one, to think much on all occasions of my dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Number two, to endeavor to do my utmost so as to act, as I think I should do, if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and the torments of hell. In other words, Jonathan Edwards looked death in the eye. I know a pastor who said before every funeral, before I preach, I picture myself in that casket or my daughter or my wife in that casket. And he said, picturing myself at my own funeral has a way of blowing away the triviality of life and getting me to the serious joy of the resurrection. And, and you know, if you think it's morbid to think about death, no, the Bible says to think about your death. Here's what it says, Ecclesiastes 7. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. Psalm 39, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. So, you know, whatever hard test, you know, maybe you're dying. The doctor said you've got three months. What, if it's death or if it's whatever hard thing the Lord is, is bringing you to, look it in the eye and talk to God about it. And now for kind of the tearjerker scene of the Old Testament. Here we go. Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked out together. Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and Abraham said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Here's the next lesson. I think you can tell this just by the way Abraham talks. Abraham loved his son. <laughs> we need dads who love their children. You know, I, I saw an editorial in the paper some time ago, and the editorial said, we need more Fred McMurray's. <laughs> you remember Fred McMurray, my three sons, just the dad who loved his son. You know, on TV shows now, you ever see dad loving their children? Their dads are kind of a joke on TV. And, you know, we, we need Abrahams. We need fathers to love their children. Verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Here's the next lesson about how Abraham passed the test. 
Abraham loved God more, family came second. God was more important to Abraham than his son Isaac. I can think of two ELCA Lutheran bishops who have promoted homosexuality in the Lutheran Church, and they won. The ELCA Lutheran Church now affirms homosexual behavior. Why did these two bishops promote it so heavily? Because their sons are homosexual. That is called putting your children before God. I mean, I, I, I have, if you've watched this show, I personally have struggled with same-sex attraction most of my life. But the Bible says it's a sin, so I don't get into that behavior. So I, I go to Florida to speak at a church on this issue of homosexuality, and one woman gets up, but, but my, my son is a homosexual, and he lost, left his wife and his children, and now he's got a gay partner. And then after the service of grandma, my grandson's a homosexual. And, and I'm thinking, so what? <laughs> Just because your son or your grandson is committing a sin, does that make it right? Should we rip those pages out of the Bible for the sake of your grandson? Um, I mean, I, had, I have a dear loved one, and in between her marriages, she was living with her boyfriend. Okay, therefore, I'm supposed to be in favor of fornication because I have a, a loved relative that does it? No, listen, Abraham put God first, and his family came second. So here's a, a couple of the church that came up. Well, Pastor Brock, we won't be in church the next four months because the school has scheduled our son's hockey practice for Sunday morning. So... You avoid God for four months for the sake of your son's hockey. I mean, it, it kills me, these parents who will run all over town getting little Judy to ballet lessons and Jimmy to hockey practice, but we just don't have time for church on Sunday morning. No, no. Abraham put God first, and the family came second. If you've never seen the, the best movie of the year of 1967, I think it was, a Man for All Seasons, rent that video, A Man for All Seasons, true story of Sir Thomas More, who in 1535 was beheaded by King Henry VIII because Sir Thomas More would not approve of the king's adultery. And, and Sir Thomas More's family pleaded with him. The king pled with him to compromise. And, and Sir Thomas More said, quote, I am the king's good servant, but God's first. In other words, Sir Thomas More put God before the king, before his family, and he lost his head for it. But he put God first. Verse 10. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Here's the next lesson. Abraham practiced radical obedience. This was being radically obedient. And look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. <laughs> that is the definition of what radical obedience is. It's saying, God, I don't like this. I don't understand it. But here I am. I'll do it. Now, do you wonder what was going on inside Abraham's head that got him to be so radically obedient. It doesn't tell us in Genesis 22, but 2,000 years later, the author of the book of Hebrews tells us what was going on in Abraham's head. Listen to this from Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He considered God. 
that God was able to raise men even from the dead. Hence, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So you know what Abraham was thinking? Well, God told me this is the son who's going to give me all these descendants, and God tells me to kill him. Well, God can raise him from the dead and then give me descendants that way. That's what was going on in his head. So here's my point. When you go through a severe trial, Abraham considered God. Just think of those three words. What I need to do while I go through this trial, I consider God. That's called faith. God, I consider that I don't know why this is going on. I consider you're big enough to take care of me through this. Verse verse 12, the angel said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the place of that uh, the, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. Now I want you to notice this. Abraham gets three rewards for his radical obedience. And again, Matthew Henry, writing in the 1600s, says this. Note that those who are willing to part with anything for God shall have it made up to them. Abraham has but one son and is willing to part with that one in obedience to God. Well, said God, then you will be recompensed with thousands and millions. So Abraham gets three rewards for obeying God. The first one is, is in verse 17 there. A large family, more than the stars. You know, I wonder if Satan hasn't messed up our thinking about large families. In Bible days, if you had tons of kids, that was a huge blessing. Even 50 years ago, if you had a large family, that was a blessing. I ran into somebody I hadn't seen for years. How are you doing? Good. I have nine children now. I thought, whoa. <laughs> but you know, has God messed up? In our self-centered, abortion-minded America, I think God has messed up our thinking. I mean, not God. I think the culture has messed up our thinking. Here's what God says about big families from Psalm 127. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So the first blessing God gives Abraham for his obedience is tons of descendants. The second blessing uh, is in verse 17. And you sh- your seed, your descendants, shall possess the gate of their enemies. Abraham's second reward is political success. Do you know why we still have unrest in the Middle East? Because the descendants of Abraham, the Jews, still possess the gates of their enemies. Jerusalem is owned by the Jews, and that still is causing political unrest. God is keeping his word all these years later. The third reward for Abraham's obedience, children, political success, but number three is verse 18. In your seed, descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And do you know who the seed of Abraham was that blessed the whole world? 
Jesus. Both Mary and Joseph were descendants of Abraham. They produce the Christ. So the third reward is all nations will be blessed through Abraham's descendant, Jesus. Well, last point of the sermon today. Isaac is a type of Jesus. In the Old Testament, now and then, there would be a figure who would kind of foreshadow the Christ who was to come in the New Testament. And just kind of follow this. Isaac was Abraham and Sarah's only son. Jesus is God's only son. Abraham offered up Isaac. God offers us Christ. Isaac carried his own wood up the hill. Jesus carried his own cross up the hill. Isaac was saved by a lamb substitute. Jesus is the lamb substitute that saves the world. Isaac died on a hill, Mount Moriah, that would become Jerusalem. Jesus died on a hill near Jerusalem. So the, the, the main point, though, I want you to get out of this whole story is, if you will be willing to bite the bullet and just do the hard thing God is asking you to do, you will be blessed beyond your imagination for that obedience. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, first of all, I have never heard all of that connection between Jesus yeah. and Isaac, and mm -hmm. that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. enjoyed having you do that. Thank you. Pastor Brock, if some tragedy happens, is that a test from God, or is it a temptation from the devil? I think the same can, event can be both. Jackie, let's say that your little granddaughter who you love is killed by a drunk driver. Is that a temptation of the devil? I think it is. And the devil wants to see you get mad at God and reject God for the rest of your life. Is that same event a test from God to, to see whether you're going to cling to God through that horrible tragedy? So I think one of, here's the difference. When God tests, he does it for our good to strengthen us and bring us closer. When the devil tempts, he does it for our destruction, trying to get us away from God. So if, you're, if your house gets hit by a tornado, it can be both a temptation from the devil or a test from the Lord. Okay, God tested Abraham to see what he would do. But I guess, doesn't God know everything ahead of time? Yes, he does. Okay, so, yeah. so then why the need to test someone. Well, good. And, you know, I don't know everything, <laughs> and that's a hard question. Did God know that Abraham ultimately would be willing to sacrifice his son? Of course God knew it. He knows the end from the beginning, according to the Bible. In fact, God is the one that gave Abraham the grace to obey that difficult command. So, yes, God knew. Part of this, I think, is to show to heaven and earth and all the world what God can do with a human being. Also, Abraham didn't know <laughs> if he was going to pass that test. So for Abraham's sake, he had to go through this. But some of this is a bit mysterious. Yeah. Okay. Are there any modern-day examples of putting God first and your family second? Yeah. I think for those dear Christians who are being beheaded overseas, when they are told, if you will convert to Islam, we'll save you, 
and they're willing to say, no, I'm willing to lose my life, I'm willing to say goodbye to my family. There's an example of, of people who are putting God before their family. They're willing to die for Christ. Yeah. So do you think the Jews will become a nation again? I mean, because well, in 1948, wasn't there a fulfillment of prophecy? Yeah, just think of this, Jackie. People don't know this. Israel stopped being a political nation in 70 AD when the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem according to Christ's prophecy. Remember when Jesus was carrying the cross and he says to the women crying, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves because of what the Romans are going to do. And then, what, about 40 years later, the Romans wiped out the Jews. Jews got scattered all over the world. In 1948, miracle of miracles, they all came back to Jerusalem and they set up the nation of Israel in 1948. They became a nation again. So I, I think... You know, in the Bible, it talks about the great last war, Armageddon, and the Jews, everybody being against the Jews. I think it, slowly but surely, things are being set up for the, the last war. Okay, so I guess my next question then would be, what place will Ju Jerusalem play in the end times? I, I think there's, and, and some of this I'm very hesitant about because we got the first coming of Christ so wrong that when people make dogmatic statements about how the second coming of Christ has to happen, I get nervous. But... There, it talks about Christ returning to the Mount of Olives, you know, the, the, the war and Christ coming and wiping out the Antichrist. And, so, and Jerusalem sure seems to be involved in all that. Yeah. Okay. Um, are the Jews still God's chosen people? Yes and no. Let me answer that. If, if you really want to know the, the full answer to that, you've got to read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, where Paul, the Jew the Jewish Christian now, but he's a Jew, laments the fact that most of his Jewish brethren have rejected the Christ, who was sent for them. And are, are, the, Jews, are the Jews the chosen people? In one sense, yes, because in Romans 11, Paul says, God is not done with the Jews, and before the return of Christ, there will be a conversion of many Jews to Christ. So it's coming, but if you're a Jew... Are you, are you saved and going to heaven just because you're a descendant of Abraham? No, because Paul in Romans 9 says he, he, he grieves for the fact that most of his Jewish brethren are lost because they've re rejected Christ. Yeah. So I guess the next question, though, are the Jewish people today the descendants, the children of Abraham? Physically, they are. Okay. But Paul makes the point in Romans chapter 2 that the real descendants of Abraham are the people who had faith like him and embraced the Christ. Okay, so, one last question. Yeah. Why did the, most of the Jews reject Christ? Well, again, Paul talks about that, that there's time periods. We're in the period of the Gentiles where they accept Christ. We're in the period of the rejection of the Jews where they reject Christ. But the period is coming when the Jews even will come to faith in Christ. So part of God's mysterious plan. <laughs> We want to thank you for being with us this week, and we pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.